I thought that everybody is reached by the language. And uh, so I felt comfortable that everything is done during these three years. When I get exposure to the grassroots people, especially uh, the different uh, small groups who have their own vernacular. These people have no other way of hearing the word of God. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Rich Rodowski. And I'm Emily Wilson. And today we are going to talk with our good friend, Ethiopia Programs Director, Dr. Berhanu Ofka. Before we talk with him, we'd like to remind you that you can get Essentially Translatable Podcast directly delivered to you on whatever platform you use by subscribing on Audible or Spotify Apple, iHeartRadio, all the places, or going to lbt.org slash podcast. You can subscribe there. We would love to make your life easier by being sure that content is available to you whenever you want it. Yeah, and you can check out past episodes really easily now, like all of them from its inception. So enjoy. Happy listening. So uh, Dr. Berhanu was here in our uh, newly equipped studio to Mm -hmm. uh, talk with us about uh, his life and work in Ethiopia, and he is the former general secretary of the largest Lutheran church body in the world, the Ethiopian Evangelical Church Makaniesus, and uh, currently serves as Lutheran Bible Translators Programs Director for our Ethiopia programs, and those programs are an innovative partnership with the Makaniesus Church and the seminary to Uh, train and build up Bible translation advisors. That's kind of the equivalent to uh, what was our uh, entry-level missionary work here in LBT, and then to send them to uh, do language work in Ethiopia through the Department of Mission and Theology and even out into the world. And uh, so just sort of by comparison, right now Lutheran Bible Translators has 57 missionaries that we've sent all over the world. This program that's happening at the seminary right now that uh, will send missionaries out as they graduate and over the next uh, couple of years currently has 35 students in there that would all be equivalent to LBT missionaries. That's awesome. And as you're listening to this interview, I want you to imagine as Dr. Afka is speaking, he really paints a picture of his story, his experience with scripture and just what life is like in the Ethiopian context. He really just embodies this passion for God's word in your own language. And so just sit back, relax, and bask in the storytelling. We are here with Dr. Berhana Ofka, the Ethiopia Programs Director for Lutheran Bible Translators, and he uh, previously served as General Secretary of the Ethiopian Evangelical Church, Makaniesus. And uh, great to have you with us in the studio, Dr. Berhanu. Thank you. Welcome. We're so thankful that you're here with us and able to join us in person. And that's well, quite a, a trip in the middle of all of the, you know, COVID precaution world. And we'd love for you to be able to share a little bit about your background with our audience. So you've been a Christian most of your life, but it wasn't necessarily the environment you grew up in. So what were the regional religious beliefs in Ethiopia at the time of growing up? Well, uh, I was born in rural Ethiopia. My parents, from farming parents, 
and uh, their religious worldview was syncretistic, mm-hmm. uh, partially adapted traditional African religion, and also claimed to be Christian, Orthodox Christian. Okay. So they used to do both practices. Once in a year or certain occasions they go to Orthodox Church. When they baptized me, they have me baptized as a child. Mm-hmm. But most of the time they adhere to African traditional religion. The worship of different kinds of spirits. They believe that there are spirits in trees, mm-hmm. rivers, and uh, when something beyond the control happens, the like the rain when the uh, the rain, rain stops or natural disasters happen they pray to that spirit okay mm. uh, the ladies in the village get together and uh, carry the br- branch of tree mm. and uh, sing and go to the river and uh, give homage to appease that deity mm. uh, they say it recha they go and put that uh, and uh, then honor that deity, they keep doing for a month. By the end of the month, they celebrate that occasion under a big tree. Mm. And uh, under a big tree, the men, the men also join them. They they kill animals and shed blood and uh, give that blood also to that deity and uh, think that the deity gets satisfied. Mm. They think that the, the deity take away the rain and now when they do that, they expect that the, uh, the deity, is, the spirit is satisfied and the rain will come back. Uh, accidentally, sometimes they get rain after that celebration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I joined them and I used to practice all mm-hmm. those practices with them. And uh, they have also other practices, like ladies separately do. Uh, my mother used to celebrate a spirit cult uh, known as Atete mm-hmm. uh, once, a, once in a year. And those days, they call the village, they make a feast at home and uh, call the village elders, uh, ladies, and uh, the ladies use drums in honor of that spirit. Mm-hmm. And they do that and uh, they sing. And uh, then while in the midst of that practice, my mother gets possessed with evil spirit oh. and lose her mm. mind and act like an angry, mm. angry spirit. Mm-hmm. So at that time, the elders, my father with the village elders come and beg. Then the spirit expresses anger and say, I did that to the family. I killed that person in the family. I did that, this and that, and tells about misfortunes in the family. Mm. Then they beg the spirit to appease, appease and uh, to slow its anger. Then the spirit on my mother used to say, now if you do this and that, do this and that, or dedicate animal to him or kill animal for him, uh, he will uh, stop doing that. So that's what they were doing before my in my pre-Christian mm-hmm. mm. uh, practice. Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, how did your family or you become Christian or evangelical? What was that like? And uh, what happened to, to change those beliefs? When I was elementary school student, I lived in, the, in that community. Hmm. But when I, after completing my elementary school, 
and uh, we had to go to city area. Two of my friends joined Bible school in that city mm. because of academic reasons. They didn't make the uh, high school grade. Okay. And economic reason also, they couldn't cover their cost. So at the Bible school, the missionaries pay them and they join the Bible school without knowing Jesus. Wow. Uh, mm. You just go went and study, study, start studying Bible. And I used to visit them while I was going to high school in that city. Uh, yes, our friendship continued and I used to visit them. And uh, one day during my visit, I went with an eyeglass. One of them was interested in that eyeglass. And uh, if you give me this eyeglass, I'll give you a Bible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then we, sh- we exchanged it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I, re- I started reading the Bible and test- it tested good for me and I kept reading and reading and reading and I liked it. Mm. Then the other time I, g- I went, this eyeglass is good for me and uh, you can remain with your Bible. <laughs> That's the Bible I threw, which got connected to the church. Mm-hmm. Then after keeping on reading the Bible, there was a church, a Lutheran church uh, in that city. Mm. They, they directed me to go to that church and uh, start worship, practicing Christian worship in that church. So gradually, I started coming to church and reading the Bible. And uh, through that gradual process, First, I myself connected, get connected to the church. Mm. Uh, on, t- on the top of that, there was a special occasion when faith made sense, special sense for me through radical conversion. And uh, from there on, I became serious about uh, worshiping and uh, sharing the, my experience to other people. Mm-hmm. Then I shared that to my friends, to my my brothers, and uh, when they were they were impacted by my witness, but why my parents were not happy, okay. mm. and uh, they were very angry about we changing their way of faith and uh, joining another practice. Mm-hmm. Then they begged us, "Don't come here, don't mm-hmm. come to my home. Mm. I will give I will give you what you need, all what you need at that city," and. Uh, they, they, they thought that us disturbing their faith. Only the, our elder brother, who was a local uh, doctor, injected, injected people, is not trained, mm-hmm. but he didn't join us. So we kept on praying around the cattle barn without bringing to home. Mm-hmm. Every night we stay at cattle barn and the fire, barn fire and pray there. And village uh, children and uh, young people like us co- come to us. Mm-hmm. But the grown-up people say, no, no, if this is really uh, worthwhile, they should, their parents have to accept that religion. Okay. And waited up, up, up until our parents accepted it. Mm-hmm. One day, our father went to farm place and uh, was beaten by a snake. Mm. And uh, they carried him home. And they asked for help, and uh, our elder brother, uh, eldest brother, who who didn't join us, I tried to help them by giving him penicillin injection and other medical help he could do. Mm-hmm. Then they were about to collapse, and uh, at last they said, "Could you call those children mm. who talk about Jesus? Let me try Jesus, Jesus and uh, if or die." 
then they called us to, to pray for him. We didn't as such know at healing camps or this could work. Then we knelt down under his bed and started praying. Then while we were praying, the whole poison went. And he said, oh, right up. Mm. I'm now healed. Mm. Mm. From today on, no more worship of idol, no more spirit uh, cult or practice. Jesus has come to our home wow. and told everybody. Then so from that moment, all the neighborhood joined and uh, became filled of evangelism. Wow. Mm. Uh, and then soon, sooner the church was planted in that area. Hmm. Uh, wow. It's amazing. Let me try Jesus or die. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's astonishing. That's powerful. Yeah. And that he was glorified in all of that. Yeah, he went yeah. throughout his, uh, the, his days uh, from that day. Mm-hmm. Every every evening, he don't you know usually in traditional family, mm. they wash her foot and the, then eat meal and go to bed. Okay. So he doesn't have his foot wash up until prayer is done. Mm-hmm. Once we changed our fashion from that evil, now we shouldn't stop because it could come back to us. Mm. So they warn us, come on, do the prayer. So we make you used to make a family prayer, mm-hmm. and after it was after that that mm-hmm. he let his foot washed, and then dine and go to bed, mm-hmm. yeah. up until the day of his death. Even on the day of his death, he at, at the end of his life. Uh, at that time, I was a minister, and uh, I was uh, I took him to my home. Yeah. He was sick and uh, live, living in one of the room, and said, in the midnight, he called me, said, oh, who are these people dressed with, with white clothes, carrying cross were around me, singing, even they, mm. they told us the song they sang, mm. please call them, call them. It was midnight, after midnight, and I thought that it's a vision, and I said, no, 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 this time no one is there. And you don't have to call them. They are just, just, just left here. Hmm. Then in the morning, I took him to hospital. And uh, he died at lunchtime. Hmm. So we went up to the end, hmm. practicing that. Yeah. So, and, and your mom also then became Christian? Oh, yes. You know, that's good. Mom, mom, our mom didn't join us early. Okay. When, when my, our dad uh, declared that he changed his face to confess Jesus mm-hmm. uh, she was not happy because the spirit on her yeah didn't let him let her do that mm-hmm. usually when we make uh, family prayer she hides somewhere mm-hmm. she hide she used to hide somewhere oh. but one day accidentally she lost uh, she she forgot and sat in, in the middle of us while we were praying mm-hmm. then while we were praying singing, the spirit on her started behaving, and then she fell down from chair, and we prayed for her, and the spirit was cast out from her, mm. telling all about practices she was doing, and how to we was forcing her to do that. After she was delivered from the spirit, she also joined us after oh. days. Praise God. Yeah. 
So is traditional religion like this still present in Ethiopia and the, the rural areas or other places? Among non-Christians, among uh, uh, traditional uh, those who practice tradition in African religion, there are very few now. Mm. Evangelism has gone far, and now they are minority. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. So is it more challenging to share the gospel in those kinds of contexts where they're still practicing traditional religion? Yes and no. They need something that packs their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, powerful witness, like powerful witness, when somebody shares what has happened to him personally by encountering Jesus. Mm -hmm. They may not be satisfied with just theoretical telling them because we have our God and you have your God and uh, why do you want us to change our religion? Mm -hmm. But if a practical life experience is shared to them and uh, something that they don't find in their practice, then they give some service and start following. So most of the means of evangelism is through life, uh, pra- uh, sharing life experience. People, since Christianity in that context is first-generation Christianity, everybody has something to tell, a story to tell, how he turned it back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if he tells that story to somebody who doesn't, who didn't join, then it's easy way of winning comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other is by casting our demons. Mm-hmm. Usually people are sick and, uh, you know, there are not hospitals in the countryside. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we usually come for prayer. So some of the things causing that sickness are demonic spirits. Mm-hmm. So in that in the gathering of Christians, when they pray, then the devils scream and uh, then they're delivered from sickness and join the community. Pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't remember from the story before that the the way that you got connected to the church was that you traded this Bible for a pair uh, um, of glasses. But what Bible what, was it in your language? In Amharic. In Amharic. Okay. Amharic is my second language. Yeah. Uh, because um, at that time, Amharic was more popular than. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, my first language is Romo, mm-hmm. but we use Amharic at school and. Uh, that Bible gave me was also in a Mari copy. Okay. So then, yeah, you mentioned that English isn't, so that's not even your second language now. Maybe it's the third. Third language, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk about the impact of when you can read Scripture in your own language and and interact with God's Word in in your own language instead of a second language or a third language. Yeah, I started with uh, that Amharic book and the letter... Uh, the Romo copy was also there. Mm-hmm. It was uh, translated by in the 1880s, in the 1890s, mm-hmm. by Onesmus, a man called Onesmus. Mm-hmm. So I started also reading that. So I found it more communicative for me, more uh, understandable, more touching for my life, because I have to cross cultural bridges and other uh, other things. But when I read the Bible in my, my tongue and my original language, it makes understanding very easy. And uh, so I, I started using my Oromo Bible copy. It's mm-hmm. mm. wonderful. So 
Can you share a little bit about the linguistic diversity in Ethiopia? There's over 80 languages, is that right? 85. 85 languages. Yes, yes. But not all of them have scripture in their own language. Well, uh, they are totally 85 plus, they say 85 plus languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so far, the Bible, full Bible has been translated into 11 of them. Mm. And uh, three are underway. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are supported by LBT. Mm-hmm. For example, even th- three of them are now, there is support of LBT in them. Konso and uh, Kambata and Hadiyah Bibles. And uh, when they are finalized, maybe it's a couple of years or this year, some partially this year, Konso may be in the, in the coming year. Mm-hmm. So when this, they are uh, finalized, it may come 14. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are 20, 27 New Testament, uh, New Testament under translation, not all finalized. Mm. And also about 23 Old Testament works. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the program I am engaged now, we are uh, totally, it's about 25, but it includes sign language. So we, if we include sign language, maybe about 25 languages we are working on with the, under the church in connect with the ECMY. Some of them were started but not uh, abandoned uh, due to lack of resource and uh, some lack of also missionaries who mm. started and went. So now we integrated and are uh, operating to enhance the completion of those Bibles. That's wonderful. So with the, the church, the Evangelical Church Makana Jesus, you served as general secretary. So could you share a little bit about the expansion that happened during your time serving as general secretary? Yes, uh, in the ECMI in the church, I served as a senior president first mm-hmm. and in two different senators. Uh, senior president in our context is like district president. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Eight years each, in each, uh, for 16 years. Yeah. During, uh, part of it is during the communist time, and uh, then the other, th- the other senior was during this change, uh, the government that's come after the communist government. Mm. Then I, uh, I moved to United States for study and lived here for 10 years working as a missionary at large under the district of Ohio. At the same time, went to school to Fort Wayne Theological Seminary. It is after that 10 years that I got called back. I was challenged because I was elected in my, in my absence after having been okay. 10 years away. Mm. Yeah. So that uh, made me to change my mind and go back and serve the church. So I did the service for two election years, Mm -hmm. which is a ceiling, and for um, that means for eight years uh, as a general secretary. And uh, one of the very effective and uh, important work done during that time was implementing strategic plan in uh, evangelism work. Uh, that involves the communicants in witnessing of the gospel mm-hmm. and addresses also some critical gaps 
in the church. So that has contributed a lot to the numerical growth of the church and the growth in the aspects of the church. And uh, I give high value to that. It has contributed also towards expanding the training centers, uh, Bible schools and uh, seminaries, and produce more ministers. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, in that strategic plan, we that strategic plan envisioned to reach out to 30 million people in five years, during wow. the first five years. And uh, for many, it seemed very ambitious yeah. because that never happened in the history of the church. Sure. But the strategy was was simple when it's unpacked. ECMY at that time had 5,000 members, mm. five, five million members. Five million, yeah. And then we took only three million of the five, leaving out uh, children and uh, people who are not in the position of witnessing. Mm. So we assumed that the strategy plan assumes that every member witnessed to two people in a year. Mm. So if it, that's done, then the objective is met because two times three million is six million, and uh, by five years it will make 30 million. Mm-hmm. But when, when we unpacked and told, told the members, they said, this is easy. Why do you keep us one year to tell to, they can, can to, they, to do it in a day? <laughs> <laughs> so let's make that a minimum and uh, go ahead and do two in a year. Mm-hmm. Then that created great motivation. Yeah. And uh, the strategy of also controlling was also very effective. We used to, you know, it has four tires to get to the congregation. The field of the work is congregation, congregation, parish, synod, and uh, church. Yeah. So in on all those these tires, every one every month, we hear oral report okay. of the achievement. Mm. Every quarter, they come with written report at every level, mm. first at the congregation level, and then the district cluster of congregations is district, cluster of districts is synod. And uh, we discuss about achievement of the previous quarter and uh, look at the extract of the extract of the next quarter and uh, discuss and solve problem, problems and uh, then encourage each other. Mm. It is that way that it went. And uh, by the end of the first five years, when the work was evangel- evaluated by an external professional, though we didn't meet uh, what we intended. It was transformational. Mm. Yeah, you know, before before that, before when we were doing conventionally, the growth of the church was three percent. Mm-hmm. That strategic plan brought the growth to average growth in those four years to eight percent. Mm. Yes, which means the three percent to one one hundred thirty-six thousand a year, and the eight percent is five hundred sixty thousand mm. year. per year. Wow. Yeah, so a big goal. Even if you don't yeah. reach the big goal, you still yeah, yeah. achieve big things with God's grace and help, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm now going to challenge my congregation. Two people, two people at minimum. In <laughs> just yeah. you have a whole year. Yeah, I know. I, yeah. <laughs> it's simple, but people don't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can do even in a day. Share. They are not compelled to go, to make them believe. Yeah. But share their experience. Right. Yeah. It's up to the Holy Spirit. Exactly. To change the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Trusting in that. Absolutely.
So how has the church responded? You shared a little bit about the partnership of of the Makana Jesus Church with Bible translation programs, but just kind of curious how that dynamic of the church responding to 85 plus languages among its members and how does that impact the way the church interacts with people of different language backgrounds? Well, uh, the church has, from the beginning, the conviction of or about contribution of Bible translation to mm-hmm. mission. Mm-hmm. That's how the missionaries also started when they came. And uh, missionaries through centuries who came to the country went translation as one of the strategy to reach out to people because the Bible has been only known in Giz for the up to 19th 80, the first half of 1918. Mm-hmm. And uh, even those who are uh, who, owned, who claim to own the Bible, the Orthodox people, mm-hmm. they hold the Bible, but common people cannot understand that language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's only by the Bible of the uh, scholars and the people who are educated in Giz. So because of that, missionaries whoever come at a at different time find the translation and making the Bible accessible to everybody was one of the priority. Just over three years ago, I, the church had signed an agreement. Memorandum on that understanding. There it is, yeah, with the Lutheran Bible translators yeah. and the seminary and the church's Department of Mission and Theology. So talk a little bit about that partnership and, and what the plan is for that. Uh, then when the... LBT joined this initiative three years ago. Three before, of course, the official signing was three years, but the starting was far before that. Yeah. In 2012 or 2011, uh, when a coordinator of Bible translation in the South or West Synod directly contacted the LBT and direct contact through direct contact, LBT support. Start extending there. Then, based on that practice, LBT work is nationally recognized, and a partnership agreement was signed uh, first with the Memo of Understanding with the seminary, with to train ministers, uh, especially you know the practice. In the practice, the local ministers doing their training have no uh, training. Skill and uh, translation skill, mm-hmm. and have no biblical language. They only know the language of the people, and that they do. So to cover to address that gap, that gap is found as a critical need. Sure, that's because of that that training of students uh, in translation skill and uh, biblical language is found and a priority. It's as a result of that that uh, some students, seminary agreement was signed between seminary and the LBT, and uh, students were admitted and started training there. Now the uh, the first group uh, that consisting of fifteen students is have, have completed their third year uh, study and deployed for practical practical uh, study to yeah. the sites. Right. And the second years are also about 20 students who are enrolled and started 
there on the second year. Uh, so the first argument was made with the seminary, and even to encourage that uh, uh, work, you know, to, since the transition work in Ethiopia is something that would continue, that not, may not stop very soon up until all the languages, all the Bible translation started and the, the unreached language yeah. are reached. So uh, another uh, scheme that supported this translation was devised to solve the problem of resource sharing. Yes. So that is a building, you know, a, a project of big project of building that generates income, and uh, that whose generates income for this translation work was devised, and then started after having getting resource for uh, necessary resource for the building, and uh, this it was started at the beginning of uh, last year. And uh, the plan was to finish. It was at the beginning of this year. Yes. And planned to be completed mm. by the end of this year. But due to COVID and uh, other political instability in the country, it may, it isn't a good process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But may go additional two months, two, three, two months to the end completion. Sure. So that is what is being done from the seminary side. Mm. And the same, uh, there, thereafter, another agreement, cooperation agreement, uh, partnership agreement was signed between the church and LBT at higher level. Yeah. And uh, uh, that, that is, includes both what is done in the seminary and at the, at the church side. Uh, the, the Department of Mission and uh, Theology of the church is in charge of the translation work uh, activities done under the church or the 25 projects we say so this uh, agreement signed between LBT and uh, the church includes these pro projects mm -hmm. you know it's seminary trains and uh, give it over to uh, the DMT to deploy them uh, to practical work and so uh, that uh, the letter agreement will include both activities LBT is doing in the whole church. And uh, it's as a result of that uh, that now we uh, switch it to devising strategy, mm -hmm. a strategy of adding more efficiency, efficiency to this work, uh, identifying critical needs and critical problems. And uh, that is uh, being finalized now strategies that work for the next coming next 10 years yeah so this is uh now a second major strategic plan that you've had a part in in helping put together why is it that you think strategic plans are so important uh, for the for the translation work doing things strategically very important because unless things are critically studied operations are critically studied and uh, what we are envisioning to achieve is clearly put on paper, you know, addressing those uh, problems coming on the roadmap, on the way to get to goal. Efficiency will not come because all the needed resources and manpowers and whatever, what are needed are not anticipatedly anticipated and 
considered. So it, it will cause bottlenecks yeah. for operation. So if things, if goals are set, it's, it increases motivation and makes, makes people accountable and uh, also enables people to join hands and uh, act. Even relationship with donors and uh, implementing church and donors and uh, all the stakeholders, uh, responsibility would be defined and uh, create uh, transparency of work. So it's very helpful and, uh, and uh, very effective for managing things effectively. So what's been the most encouraging or exciting development in your work with Lutheran Bible translators? Yeah, you know, during all these years, I had been involved in the leadership of the church, be it in the senior level or general secretary. I'm far away from this reality. I only get reports of a yearly report of uh, church grows. And uh, I thought that everybody is reached mm. by the language mm-hmm. on use. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I felt con- comfortable that everything is done. Mm. But when I, during these three years, when I went down, because I, I, I was far structurally from the grassroots, mm-hmm. But when I, I went uh, get exposure to the grassroots people, especially uh, the different uh, s- small groups who have their own vernacular, uh, I thought they know Amharic or Oromo or uh, other language in their area. Mm. But I realized that unless somebody interprets and uh, tells them in from interpret from our language, other language, interpret tell them, they they have uh, no other way of getting the in, in the south the strategy they used uh, was they send people from Konso or other place mm. to Amai or uh, Ale to speak the word of God to them but these people don't know their language yeah mm. they need another interpreter from the community mm. if from those in the community don't know the language of the person sent so there was great communication gap between them. Mm-hmm. So these people have no other way of hearing the word of God. Uh, uh, th- that's what I realized through this process. Mm. And uh, the other example is that we, once we went to uh, the workshop of uh, the minority groups in Asosa area in the western part of the country mm. who have been working on oral Bible translation not yet, uh, the language is not yet developed. And uh, those guys said, told, told us, uh, they know Oromo, Oromifa, though they are from that clan. Yeah. After having experience converted and uh, uh, knowing Jesus themselves, they went, went to witness to their people. Wow. And uh, they spoke to them in Oromo. Mm. But they said, what are you saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then they said, oh, if he is really God of us, our God, he would have spoken in our own language. Mm. So this is a God of the Oromos, go away. Okay. Ah. And they didn't give her ear. Yeah. And then what they did was, they went and uh, orally 
recorded the Bible in their own language and brought to them. Oh, now, now God speaks to us in our own language. And heard and converts came joining churches. So there are so many similar uh, similar examples like that that you know impacted mm-hmm. impacted my view about uh, the minority groups mm-hmm. who we have not done we think we have done it but people say ECMY is big church but yeah. there are people whom we have not considered in our ministry right uh, and so Bible translation opens the, the opens door. our door to that and uh, that's what uh, what changed my impacted me much and uh, changed my perspective. So how can we be praying for you and your ministry in Ethiopia and for our listeners to better support you? Uh, yes, one is, uh, of course, uh, for over the, every mission operation, prayer is very compulsory. Yes, yeah. And uh, the one is uh, to share this information to churches, Christians in the United States and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. share these uh, achievements with them and uh, also uh, request them to also join this initiative through their uh, prayer, uh, earnest prayer, and also sharing resources because this community are backward and uh, they are not developed as, they, as people here. And uh, the, the translation involves many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, people paying salaries of people who are involved in the translation, material needs for the translation, and training of translators and uh, equipments. All these those uh, needs cannot be met by the community or target community. Right. So because of that, uh, supporting is very essential, so, um, and uh, the support of uh, Christians who are blessed with material, mm-hmm. with material uh, property, material resource. You know, you, some are blessed with material resource, some are blessed with spiritual resource. Mm-hmm. It's not only giver and receiver, they, they can share also. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can share, those who are blessed, with, they can come and see how rich they are in the spirit and yes. uh, how how rich they are in their spiritual uh, need, uh, spiritual life. Yeah. But these people may la- lack, uh, they may la- lack the material resources, and uh, they can exchange those gifts. It's life-changing work. Yeah. Uh, these people who have very serious need get their pro- prayer support and resource support. Their problem is solved. But when what when this powerful work uh, or, or that God works among these people is heard, yeah, it also impacts life. It does, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, your time with us today, for your ministry in Lutheran Bible Translators as the uh, programs director in Ethiopia, and it's been great talking with you today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, the thing I really love about this conversation with Dr. Burhanu is when you think about getting involved in God's mission and missionary work, you know, we think in terms of lots of people and big movements, but then you think about all those people, their individuals, and how just the work of God in just one individual's life can turn a hinge mm-hmm. that has so much impact. And that's really what we hear uh, in Dr. Burhanu's story. Right. <laughs> Trading 
glasses or a Bible. <laughs> How God is at work in those very simple interactions and how he might be moving in your life as you're able to uh, share scripture. So always take encouragement, everyone. Whenever possible, share God's word. And in which case, I want to encourage you all with the seminary program that has been mentioned, you can be involved in supporting the seminary students going through and becoming translation advisors. You can put God's word in their hands and just increase the vision and the, uh, the reach by visiting lbt.org slash myseminary. What a great opportunity to get involved in, you know, a really important future direction of Bible translation as this church body becomes more equipped to engage in Bible translation, both right there in their country and even around the world. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translator social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is produced and edited by Andrew Olson. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was designed by Sarah Lyons. Music written and performed by Rob Vite. I'm Richard Uske. So long for now.